and welcome to the Three Wise DMs podcast, where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for, frankly, way too long talk about how we handle all the tricky ins and outs of running a game of D&D or whatever else you might play. I'm Thorin, and I'm joined by... Tony. And Dave. How are you guys? Doing good. How about you guys? How are you doing? Doing good. Okay. Doing all right. Yeah. All right. All right. So everyone, so we want to talk, go over tonight, and this is a little bit of a different topic for us. You know, we've talked a lot about how we feel about DMing, what we enjoy in a game, how we interact with players. Now we're going to take the gloves off and reveal some of the, some of the crazy things we have pulled in our own games. Call them crazy DM stunts, stupid DM tricks, however you want to think about these things. Things that we did that were off the wall in our campaigns that players embraced or maybe didn't, and were really just, you know, way, way, way off book. You know, the kinds of things I think we'll talk about tonight are the time I turned Tony's mage into a larval character, a, a being of insects. Uh, we'll probably touch on the time we made Tarasque a breeding animal in one of my games. Uh, what do you think, guys? Any, any real quick tidbits you think you'll be hitting tonight? I think this is really my speciality. I, I am, by definition, I am off book. This is my bag, guys. So I'm raring to go. And uh, Dave's a little newer at this. I don't know if Dave's really delved that far into the crazy. Yeah, crazy. I, and that's the thing. I think what we're going to see tonight is that uh, the longer you've done this, especially, I think, probably through some of the earlier editions, uh, the really wackier you got, especially if you're 15 and drunk in a basement or something, might uh, cause it more than, you know, when you've come back to the hobby, you know, as a as a well-adjusted adult, you know, I think you're maybe, but I I definitely have a couple that I'm probably going to talk about that were just uh, not uh, crazy things. They were stupid things uh, that all had to do with uh, this is what happens when you fucking railroad people into a story. So that's what <laughs> I I'll resemble talk. that, sir. And this is, you know, that's one of the things about these is sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. So we're going to get into that. We're going to get into maybe why they worked, why they didn't, should we have done it, and well, how could we have done it better. So hopefully you'll come out of this episode with a good idea of how can you bring your own crazy ideas to life in your game, because mm -hmm. i got to tell you, it's my favorite part of DMing. I mean, do you guys agree? I mean, when you do it and it works, isn't that the best? I would have to agree with that, yeah. Yeah, it's That's yeah, cool. yeah. Uh, I think, but I, I think this, this is going to be a little different between uh, the crazy things that happen at the table and crazy things that you specifically throw in there as like a giant monkey wrench or something, or just like, <laughs> oh, this will be crazy, <laughs> right? And it explodes. So we'll, we'll find see. out. Let's see what happens. So where should we begin? I guess Tony, you've got you've got a list I see there. How about you kick us off with what is one of the craziest things you've ever done? Well, for my category of crazy stuff, let me choose from NPCs. So here we go. Thorne, you may remember this NPC, as a matter of fact, introduced into one of my games. Um, the party, it was an evil campaign, and they had raided one of Tiamat's temples. They broke it all apart, and in the depths of this place, they found a dragon egg. So yeah. they took this dragon egg, and one of the uh, players, who was a psionicist, wanted to try to hatch it. And it turns out this little guy comes out as a baby red dragon. But this little baby adorable red dragon is an angel of death. He is an absolute machine of destruction. He is one of Tiamat's children. And my player carried him around like a baby and fed him with a bottle and sang him nursery rhymes. This is Flamestrike <laughs> the Dragon. This little guy had like eight plus eight hit dice out of the egg. 
and he was probably as smart as the party made in some respects, and he was unbelievably OP. Absolutely, all of a sudden, forget, like, this player has an unbelievably powerful sidekick. This thing thinks he is, this is his mother, and it's like, okay, well, hey. And he was small. He shrank down and, and looked adorable for her because that's what she wanted, but he wasn't. He was like he was like an 80-foot-long dragon, and he could do that at any time he wanted, but he liked that whole I'm cute and you're feeding me candy look he had going on. So it's, like, not... cool enough that you have a, like, it's crazy enough if the DM lets you get, like, a pseudo-dragon as a familiar or something cool like that, and you give him a fucking dragon. I believe like, the term just... I used was apocalypse dragon. Um... <laughs> yeah, you did, actually. That, that's what you, you said it was an apocalypse dragon. Uh, and, and I forgot, I forgot it was actually had a true form. But I do remember it was like this adorable little red dragon. You played him very adorably. Like you played him like a little like baby who could who was smart and could talk, but not like a baby right? Stewie. Like he, like the dragon was in. Like yeah, you're my mom, and I'm happy, and I'll burn whoever you want me to. And I ate some neighbors. Sorry, do I still get dessert? <laughs> yeah, literally, like it's like Kitty Pride with Lockheed the dragon, or like Snarf from Thundercats, but in actuality, it's like, you know, Godzilla, you know, one of the Kenji. <laughs> so, so with that, though, I have to say, yes, that was super overpowered. I could have given her just a regular dragon, and that would have been a very powerful thing, but no, this was way, way over the top. And he actually turned out to be a super memorable can uh, character in my game. Yeah. Why did I mean, you do it? Like, like what, what made you want to do that in the beginning, and especially make it kind of kick it up so far? I, I feel like she she was a very good actress, and she just yeah. ran with it. And I'm like, I, I can make this work in the game. Like, this is an element. And, like, the one guy's, like, the guy who plays in my game, Scott, was he was like Uncle Garrett, and everybody adopted this dragon. Like, he was this little you know, this little tyke running around, and then later it came out that, yeah, he had 20 hit dice. <laughs> so I guess for a little scene setting, this is a second edition campaign. Uh, so hit dice, you know, second edition mechanic, of course. But well, 20 hit dice is equivalent to about a 20th level character. Or you said he had 88 out of the egg, right? Yeah. How did you handle the, I mean, all right. So it's one thing to say, hey, you have a pet. And what are the effects? Okay, I'm role-playing a pet. I'm adding a pet to add some interesting some interesting character interaction. But this guy was actually, he said he was actually a fighter. Like he actually, you, they plugged him into encounters and he would like roll things. Or I mean, how unbalanced was he that way? I allowed him to kind of stay back. He wasn't involved in every encounter. Absolutely not. But he could figure things out. You know, like, he's like, oh, there's these runes that nobody could read. Well, the dragon's, like, sniffing around. He's checking it out. Maybe, maybe he might be able to help the wizard with that. Um, I never wanted him to outshine the wizard or the fighter. But periodically, he'd have a Breaking Bad moment, and he would, like, he'd sneak off and eat a bunch of guys in the low levels of this dungeon they're on, and then be <laughs> like, hey, where was I? I? I was just stretching my legs, all four of them. Very so were you, were you, was the, was the player running the Dragon Tone, or was it kind of a, it was, in essence, was kind of an NPC? It was, so you were running it, but, okay, mm -hmm. so you could, you could still control the power level through, through that mechanic then. And some people would say my power scaling was a little off in this. Some might say that, but. All right, well, that's a little more doable then if it's something that you can still kind of uh, put the valve on when you need to. Because I see with Thorin, with our game, with the Woodstock Wanderers, the minute you gave 
uh, has been our wizard, the old doddering wizard. You gave him the bag of tricks. Mm -hmm. uh, and that quickly became like, oh, crap. Now I have to adjust for all of these things in my encounters and that kind of yeah. stuff. Because depending Actually, on what gets pulled out, you know. You know, and honestly, that wasn't really the bag of trips with tricks was cool. It gets a little bit kind of sometimes it gets a little annoying because he helped bring it out every in the beginning of every game. So like, absolutely, oh, we like wake the, up in the morning, everyone's eating, and he's pulling out giant goats and shit. Yeah, I'm trying to warn him. You know, <laughs> hey, the tunnel, the tunnels you're in may not be as big, big enough yeah. that air to fit through or that giant boar. Um, yeah. Tony, though, I will say, so I haven't played with Tony a lot over the years. Tony loves the DM player character, or to have some other vocal character as part of the party. Um, in in Flame Strike, played that role in that game. You didn't. I don't think you had another NPC in that game. Did you? I did not. No, he was just clearly a super. He was an NPC. He wasn't a level anything. He was operating completely independently. But That's he, kind of gave you, he gave you the ability to basically step in and whatever you needed to happen. Like party's not picking up on a clue. Well, Flame Strike sniffing around something. Party doesn't have the right language. Flame Strike has the language. Sure, sure. Party getting a little rolled. Flame Strike burps some fire. I mean, Flame Strike gets a little hungry and eats the and eats the more some of the enemy. I, I feel like also as a DM, there's times where as the DM and like their guys are saying are like messing around and doing their interactions, where I want to jump in and make a wisecracker do something, and that yeah. NPC gives me that ability to do that. Because you do that, I mean, that's really kind of a hallmark of your DMing style too. Is you like having someone on the other side of the table where you kind of get in and play on the player's team. That's kind of part of what you enjoy about it, right? I think so. Um, it also helps me kind of gauge where everything honestly is. So, you know, if I feel like, all right, from my, if I if I flip this around and I was the NPC, how did I think that went? Uh, maybe that's dragging a little bit, or maybe I'm really like I'm on the roller coaster. Maybe I have to bring it back, which I've also been accused of. What, that it's, it's, it's getting a little too easy or a little too hard or a little too uh, just out of a, hand? A, a little too fast-paced. Mm, mm. So, yeah, it was actually, that was, Flame Strike was a lot of fun. I remember him. It's, I think of him as a cool character that we were, uh, that we were engaging with. And uh, the work, I do remember him eating things at times, but he didn't, like, you kept that under control. Because he was a DM character, you were able to control kind of how he interacted. And how, how he's he eating all your gems because you turned around and he's in the bag like going to town. Which is, as we talked about, this is also the campaign where the drow cleric was stealing from everybody. So, I mean, we were probably not getting those gems anyway. Yeah, right. He'd be like, oh, man, bad news, guys. Sorry, they were all cubic zirconian. <laughs> Get I'll, up tell, you. I'll tell you what, the, the, the fantasy IRS would have audited the hell out of that party. I mean, you could have done one game of tax collection and just, you know, <laughs> totally, totally derailed us. Like, you guys are losing the keep. That's that's clearly, you didn't report this. You didn't get home. I don't care that you're Dragon Age. The king still wants your taxes. Mm. Not that they would have listened to a king. Uh, in fact, I kind of I, I kind of hate what would have happened to that tax collector. Yeah, so, that would have been gruesome. Well, I don't have I don't have NPC overpowered because I personally uh, I, I try to do the exact opposite where I don't like running. Uh, I, I specifically will not run a DM NPC, a DMPC. Like I, I just won't do it. Uh, but I will run an NPC who will join the party. Uh, but I pull back pretty hard on that lever. Uh, so as not to take anything away from the party itself. Um, that's just that's just how I, I do it. Um, but 
I absolutely, I absolutely, well, and I kind of, we ran into, I run into a problem with this in the, one of the current campaigns because you got Irina, who is a major plot point. So she's hanging around with the players and you don't want to make her this, this useless damsel, but you also don't want her to be this, this beast that's just like, well, why the fuck are we here? Like, why didn't you just take care of Strahd earlier? You know? (laughs) But, uh, I will say for OP stuff, I absolutely did that uh, in the in that uh, first Pathfinder campaign I ran because I decided uh, in my infinite wisdom um, that because I was I was hell bent on putting these pretty low level characters at the time against five dragons that they had to have something that was going to even the score. So I decided to have them forge a sword. But I was looking at all the different stuff in like the, you know, the magic items that would allow dragons bane and, you know, plus two and plus two against dragons. What the fuck's that? Gonna, nothing. Right. So I gave them, <laughs> they, they had to forge this special sword out of the star stone and all this card. Right. And uh, it just, I just made it do plus 50 against dragons <laughs> because I'm Seems like, rare to me. yeah, that's because the be- that's the upslaying number, isn't it? Yeah, because I like by the end of it, I had, I think, four level seven PCs against five adult dragons. Um, and I'm just like, They're I didn't for a long day. Yeah, I was so far. They were so on the rails. Like it was like looking back, it was just an unpleasant experience. I mean, it wasn't at the time. But it was looking back on it like, oh, my God, you know, so I had to they were so underprepared for what I was throwing at them that I had. Oh, well, here's this sword that does plus fucking 50. Like it made no sense. I even threw it on a couple of the boards and the the responses were uh, less than. uh, (laughs) So so, so you did you added a plus 50 sword. Yeah, yeah, it was well, the a damage he means, yeah, not only against dragon kind though. You know, it was a normal magic sword for anything else, but you hit a dragon with it and it slices in. You know, because I'm like, th- this dragon, like one shot will take out one shot took out one player character at the last session, just done. He was gone. You know, mass damage. So, yeah, I just so. run into a lot of problems with mechanics, where, like where someone threw out a really nutty huge mechanic like that. It was always the plot. That was what would derail one of my games, where I'm, I'm sitting as a player, and I'm like, let's plot. I'm like, oh, my God, this plot is so far of its own ass. It is never going to see the light of day. Yeah, it was just, I was so bent on this is the story, and we're going through it kind of thing. So I learned a ton from that. Uh, I would literally never put something like that. because it's, I'm it's, disappointed. It's you should be. You should. Again, no, this I want the, that your game in Raven. Oh, yeah, we would like we would like a plus fifty dragon slaying sword to go up against Strahd. We now yeah. know where your bar is. And we don't want to be different. <laughs> I mean, our player characters deserve a plus fifty vampire slaying sword too. already. I mean, already you unearthed the Sunblade at like level four, so it's already like all right. This is where we're plus 50 championship belt. That seems perfectly reasonable. I think so. Absolutely. So but, like. Yeah. All right, so we've talked about why you did it. We talked about kind of what you think about it in the end. I'm curious, though, how did you manage, like, okay, so one player gets to wield the plus 50 sword and be basically, you know, Superman, and everyone else is just, what? I mean, how did that work from a player mechanic point of view? Yeah, dude, it was, uh, that's what I'm saying. There was so much that I was, I was learning, because it's funny, as I, as we do the, these, these episodes again and again, and I'm thinking back to all of my different D&D stuff and all this, and I played a lot as a kid, but, like, Tell you the truth, I don't even remember most of the stuff I was doing as a kid. It's it's very it's interesting. Um, 
Like, I remember playing it. I remember all this stuff. Like, I was just showing you guys, I, I texted you guys that Art and Arcana book, uh, which anyone out there, if you haven't checked out the Dungeons and Dragons Art and Arcana book, to pick it up, because, oh my God, the artwork in it is, uh, it's it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. But, um, mm. but yeah, I'm looking at it, and I remember all of the modules and all of the player's handbooks and, all, you know, Ringo Run on the cover of the player's handbook and all that stuff. But I don't remember a lot of the, the the games, you know, and I definitely wasn't DMing back then. I was way too young. Um, but uh, so most of my playing has been coming in the last, you know, five, six, seven years now. So that first campaign was one Pathfinder. So it's already a super crunchy system. And I was, in essence, having to learn it and then teach it to four kind of new players. Right. Uh, so we were all kind of learning it at the same point. And uh, and it just built into this thing where I, I didn't know. I was just like, okay, here we're going. And everyone loved it. But um, no one seemed to be uh, upset that the uh, the dwarf fighter had the uh, the sword. They were just like, go go kill that thing, you know? You go kill him. We'll try to make sure none of us dies yeah. in the meantime. I did try to, I did try to give uh, interesting... Um, interesting stuff and and different uh story arcs to some of the other players though just so you know to see how they were going but everyone was enjoying it and um yeah i was just i learned so much from running that campaign over like a year and a half um that uh yeah there's a lot there so you know go out there and, and fuck up a lot and put people on rails and you'll learn a ton you know <laughs> that's so, a good takeaway yeah so I think uh, it's time I I, 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 I wade in here, and we'll, we'll do one of the ones I mentioned at the, at the start. So, Tony, mm. you had the wizard cast this in fourth edition. Good yep. wizard. Very well played. Um, and at one point, I had him trapped by a great elder thing, an aberration, and a uh, a worm kind of lured him out of the, ethereal, the cell he was in. But in the process of escaping, it did, in fact, make him a larva mage. Which means <laughs> Larva Mage was a character. I don't know if Larva Mage is the right word. There might have been a different word for the monster. No, that was it. it. We fought one of those. We just fought one of those. It's literally, it's 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 the old classic. This is actually a being that is actually classic. a pile of sentient bugs. Undead bugs. <laughs> Undead bugs. Um, at the time, if I remember correctly, your wizard was. Did he already had the Eye of Vecna? Didn't he? He did. Yes. To set the stage for where exactly this campaign was. So this didn't happen early. This happened. This was late game. This was this was in the this was in the your your, your epic levels here. Um, How did you feel about that? Did you enjoy that? That was really wild, and I have to tell you, I wouldn't have tried that on all of my players because some of my players would have lost their minds. They would have been like, <laughs> "Oh my god, you ruined my character! What the fuck?" But um, I ran with it. Because I, I stand behind this philosophy. I said this in a previous podcast. Like you, you're an actor in this movie, and you got to trust your director. And I'm looking at okay. So what's okay? So I am a pile of undead bugs, but nobody can tell that. So what are the upsides? It's like, well, you're immune. You're really resistant to like stabbing and bludgeoning and slashing damage. I'm like, well, that's cool. Yeah, and most spells don't really work so great on you. I'm like, hmm. So I'm like a lich, but more <laughs> disgusting. Tell me more about my eyes. Yeah, and, and, and I think so I think this one needs some context. Because the truth is, this was sort of towards the end of what I would consider kind of a long con campaign. So there was a lot of things going on in this campaign. It's fourth edition. I was homebrew, as my campaigns always are. But what I do when I homebrew in a lot of cases is I'll pick up things from the books and drop them in. 
So, for instance, the Bronze Lich was a player in this campaign through the middle levels. Uh, Vecna showed up kind of early, but Vecna didn't show up as an enemy per se. Vecna showed up and started tempting Cassidus because Cassidus is the wizard. What his deal was, well, maybe not his whole deal, but my memory, my remembrance of him was I was able to easily kind of say, hey, there's this book of forbidden lore, and he would go right after it. Like, so one of the Without things. Without a doubt. Really, yeah. So he was a guy. So, like, we kind of set up this kind of classic Lovecraftian style campaign that was happening with the wizard, not necessarily everyone else, but on the wizard side, uh, Cassidus was kind of being tempted on. He was interested in getting knowledge. Like, he was the guy who was going to go get that book you really shouldn't read. He was going to do it. And we basically, this campaign was about, from in, for that player, for, for that character, my version of this campaign, my vision for it was, okay, well, this is about, let's play that out. Let's do that. He's getting tempted by Vecna. Vecna's not trying to kill him. Vecna's trying to get him. So I think he was like resurrect him because I had a setup where Vecna's hand and I were around, but Vecna couldn't come in. But when someone had them in, if they had enough power, they could kind of help him come in. I think you basically resurrected Vecna, if I remember, uh, by yeah, accident. You didn't really want to. You were kind of conned into it by Vecna. It was part of like what he was leading, what he kind of led you guys into doing. I added a Lovecraftian Outer Gods element to this whole Vecna storyline. Uh, so Vecna was involved with the Great Old Ones, which who were who were things in the fourth edition campaign. You could play with them a little bit, um, but he wasn't even Vecna. Didn't necessarily want to like have them win so much as he was involved in his own deals, and the Bronze Lich was involved in her own deals. And she showed up and seduced the character at one point. Um, she was on Vecna's team, I believe. And then yes. Vecna and the Bronze Lich were like, were like trying to take over the world using Elder One's power without. They were going to let them. Come. I, I forget exactly how we set it up because really the important part was what was happening to the characters, which was the characters bringing Vecna back sort of by accident, in part because Cassius was getting led on to go find deeper and deeper knowledge, which would pay off with more power too. He got little per he got perks here and there, and eventually. They delve too far, went too far, Cthulhu showing up. Mm. Uh, they do get captured by, like, uh, Nyarlathotep, pulled into space prison kind of deal. And that was when Cassidus didn't come back with the rest of the party, and he was captured by kind of an, another entity. And this all sounds crazy from the outside, but when you're in it, it's a little more fun to play through. I think that that's awesome because I... Uh... I have played with that type of idea in some other uh, campaigns I've done, and uh, I continue to. And it takes very much the right player to pick up, or either to build it into, like, this is where I want to go. Like, this guy is literally searching for power. Or uh, to throw them out the, the, the bait and the clues, and they start to go, oh, yeah. And they follow those breadcrumbs, and... Uh, yeah, I'm really I enjoy playing with that because I think that that's such a cool uh, thing that can that can all of a sudden, you know, 10, 15 uh, levels later, everyone else goes, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> like, <laughs> that happens. And that is exactly how it played out. And it was so much fun to do. But there was an element of it the whole time that was basically putting Tony's character in a situation of, well, yeah, you got your thing. But you know what? You knew there was risk and bad things happened. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, you, he kept getting sucked further and further into these, into the grasp and into the sway of these kind of outer powers. And I think he wound up being essentially like Azathoth's new, new like avatar. Like he kind of like replaced Nyarlathotep or something as like the avatar of the dreaming one. But of course, from that point of view, Cassius can try to keep him asleep. If you know the way that whole mythos works, we are at, we are Azathoth's dream. If he wakes up, we're all destroyed. 
Therefore, Azathoth staying dreaming is every, is with everyone's best interest. Uh, so I think that was kind of where Cassidus wound up in the end, was trying to kind of like almost like a silver surfer for this great sleeper. Uh, mm. I mean, it, it, it felt like it was fun. Uh, there were definitely times where I was I was I was putting extra pressure on the on the player on, on Tony to kind of like roll with it, and he did. He did a great job of rolling with it. He did a great job too of you, know, you did a great job of playing Cassidus. You know, basically doing the stuff without turning on the party um, and without kind of like kind of having like it didn't wreck party cohesion to a certain extent. The, the Warriors were all very, very skeptical of you. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Well, I mean, first of all, my character was really a fuck the consequences kind of guy. So, yeah. like, this is extremely dangerous. You shouldn't read this book. Oh, I'm on chapter 23. I'm sorry. <laughs> And well, I, we played this in uh, it, we played this a little bit in uh, I'll go back Woodstock Wanderers and has been same thing that wizard. Um, I think the one game we were doing the whole dream sequence with the uh, the giant egg spaghetti monster creature, um, and uh, which I feel like monsters are sort of my thing. That's yeah, sort of, yeah, absolutely. You think it's a perfectly happy fantasy world to begin with. Oh, lo and behold, what's going on behind the scenes. If you guys haven't picked up on it yet, you know, Thorne has read a little Lovecraft. But um, uh, we we had the dream sequence, and we all kind of got a sense of certain things. And I think my cleric might have done some insight rolls or whatever and figured out that the wizard uh, might be open to uh, starting to collect power, even if it is uh, against his thing. And it kind of started to play this dynamic, um, which will be interesting to see how that plays out or if it plays out. But Thorin, I will ask too, and Tony in the same way, uh, with this group where you did this with Cassidus and all of this, did this affect it all? Because uh, we've talked in the past about maybe, you know, sometimes there's too much um, side messaging and, and side story with the DM and, and like a certain player. And it could affect other players if they're feeling like someone is getting um, uh, preferential treatment. Like, did that did anything like that happen or did it like is it just that that group was good for it? That's a, that's a great question. And this is the group where the one player bailed. The player where we told we talked before, but I had one of my you know, one of my best friends bail because he really wanted to play the game more as um, as if it was like a card game or as if it was like a strategy game. Yeah. And then we get into the role playing. So that's an interesting thing to look at from a party dynamics point of view. On the one hand, I was definitely deeper in bed with Tony than anyone else in this game. On the other hand. Um, the other characters weren't actually interested in doing that. So, for instance, the, my, my buddy, um, he had originally at one point wanted to come in with a warlock, with a with a devil war, with a uh, I'm sorry, a, uh, what do they call it? A, uh, the devil pact warlock. I forget the actual infernal. Infernal, infernal pact warlock. And I'm like, great, okay. Here's what you're here. Here's what you sold your soul to the devil for. And here's what <laughs> the devil wants you to do. And he was like, whoa, whoa, what? And he he didn't want to go with that at all. And I know there's a school of thought among players. Among all, among everyone, really, in fifth edition, that you shouldn't have to. So, like, if you take the if you take the infernal pact now, in the 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 feeling and the recommendation from Watsi and from most of the communities that if your player doesn't want to really deal with having a deal with the devil, you shouldn't push it on him. And yeah, I don't know. Don't you don't get to play a warlock then in my camp. I'm sorry, no. For me, that's for that's me. That's a lesson I've learned. That's how I felt then, and I got to tell you, it made it unfun for him. And I do wish I hadn't pushed it. Um, the other three guys were kind of the warriors three where we kind of had, we had a battle master, a fighter and a paladin, and they all kind of worked as a unit. They had a very military thing going, but they also weren't so interested in kind of the additional behind the scenes stuff. 
Okay. Uh, so, I, so, so I had one player who didn't want it, and I had another player who was into it. That was Tony, and then I had three other players who really weren't into it. And then we also had Matt, uh, uh, one of my other one of my other uh, players, Matt, in that game, who, um, you know, he's kind of he doesn't really get too into the behind the scenes stuff either. So Tony's the only one who really wanted that. Yeah. I did use that to advance the plot, where and there were some times where Tony was going after, or Tony's character was going after something the other players didn't know about. But they were all getting rewarded for it, too. So, for instance, one of the big features in that game was the party got an airship that the Battlemaster had asked for. And that was entirely his thing. Like, so it wasn't like Castus got all the cool stuff. Everyone got stuff. Everyone got neat things. I made sure right. to balance that. But Tony was the only player who wanted this kind of storyline. And it was a case of me kind of saying, oh, yeah, here, you can have this, have this, have this. And just constantly kind of doing the Lovecraftian thing of kind of, okay, you can have it. But all in the end. You're, you're going too far. And it worked. It was a lot of fun. But it did, you know, that whole structure is something I had to keep in mind. It's something I tried to I tried to balance. And that one player wants this. These other players don't want this. They want to work different ways. How do you reward all these players differently and have fun with them? To some extent, Tony's storyline was my fun because I really wanted to do that storyline. Yeah, and yeah. Tony's character was into it, and Tony then it would be into it. He, he likes some Lovecraft, too. So, like, but that wasn't something I could play out that same way across the whole party. So I kind of had to engage them each a little differently. If that makes sense. Yeah. Tony, how about on the other side of the screen? We talk about kind of the psychology, like when you're behind the screen and then like on the in the table side. Well, how did it feel like that in terms of like the other players and, and your guys like overall fun, your overall experience, that kind of thing? Um, I felt the storyline was very fun to play through. Uh, I do like those behind the scene things. I get the feeling that no matter what, Thorn pushed in front of them, they would have attacked and been fine with. Lovecraftian monsters, witches, warlocks, uh, blue slimes from Dragon Warrior, it didn't matter. They just wanted monsters in front of them. They'd all just, <laughs> we'd rumble, we'd clean up our XP. How do you reward those guys? With XP. They're, my point is that no, no matter, as long as they were getting encounters and getting XP and grinding these monsters to dust, most of those fighters were perfectly happy. They're like, oh, there's this deep plot in the background. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, I'm level 11. Cool. Does it lead to more monsters to kill? I want to hit level 15. <laughs> you know, and that's true. And I would say out of the other players in that game, no one else was that would. Well, you're right. No one else is really that into that backstory. So this is a way to play a game that both served the hack and slash players, the power gamers, and also served kind of someone who was a little more into the role play side of things. But Tony's also a bit of a power gamer. He doesn't. He's not going to come out with suboptimal spells. He's going to get the most out of anything you give him. Um, so, I mean, you know, I think that was, I think that's a game that works really well. We did wind up with some mistrust because the, you know, who we call the Warriors 3 wound up seriously not trusting Cassidus after a while. Because he kept thinking, <laughs> I can't things. believe he had good that. reason to be there, except well, he was stepping to the side to pick up this this evil book, Muttering Abominations, you know? Oh, come on, that's that's awesome story. That's literally Raceland Magier. I mean, right? Like, no one trusts this guy, but you have to team up with him because we need a mage. So <laughs> I also told them not to trust me. That may have played into there. <laughs> and I may have played the Don't Trust Me song for them. And then so they were still on the fence about that. <laughs> I mean, that campaign, that 40, that 40 campaign had another thing that I got to think kind of belongs in here on the crazy DM, crazy DM stunts. They fought Cthulhu. Um, they fought, so they fought Cthulhu. At level 30. Oh, no, 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 okay. you fought yeah, him, but you didn't fought you the first just time. Just stunned Cthulhu the whole no. time, though? It wasn't that was the second fight. <laughs> I guess I did. <laughs> so the second fight went that way, but they were, like you said, they were high, they were top level. 
they were in, in that. I mean, they fought. There was a top level fight where they fought Vecna, the Bronze Lich. I think Cthulhu was a pre-fight or a post-fight, and you know they were kind of they were in the, they were in that kind of epic tier. They were they, they were doing ridiculous stuff, um, which was a lot of fun. It did get a little. I mean, there were times when you know I wish Stun hadn't been in the games. It did disrupt it a little bit. I can't believe that. You know, I mean, at the same time, <laughs> all right. You know, that's the player. If you ever want to turn as a DM, I'm just wondering because I never I, let you have one. I don't really I, mind I that I don't really get one. Though, about that you know? ever. Yeah, we should maybe talk about that more about the stun <laughs> issues in the <14. laughs> But so, so the first time Cthulhu showed up, this is a neat stunt we pulled. Uh, like I said, I gave the party an airship. Now, if you know the story, Call of Cthulhu. If you don't know it, spoilers ahead. In the end of Call of Cthulhu, Cthulhu does. It's really more about Cthulhu coming. But Cthulhu does rise, and the story, and then, and you're hearing the story of a freighter captain who turned his freighter around and actually rammed it through Cthulhu's head, and that put Cthulhu back to sleep. In classic Lovecraftian style, this thing is unfathomable, undefeatable, unless you kind of hit it with something mundane, and hey, that worked, and you get to go home. Um, <laughs> so we played Cthulhu, like we we opened up. Cthulhu was massive. We actually we put a. I, I have the huge horror clicks Cthulhu figure, which is a beautiful figure. Mm, it um, is. So the first time we fought him, though, I think we actually used a huge bottle of vodka to stand in for Cthulhu. And we went to a map that made the airship five foot size to give an idea of how big Cthulhu was. And there was like, the party was closing on Cthulhu. They had to fight him with arrow, with, with ranged attacks and arrows and manage the airship. And eventually they wound up ramming the, the, the aircraft through Cthulhu's head. I had them shoot a, like a little, a kind of a node, like a jewel, like a gleaming power center to kind of get him to come apart which is sort of how it's described in the story. That was also, I think, a pretty memorable encounter. And that was entirely, of course, entirely homebrew. I wasn't using a book Cthulhu. I was using, I sat down and I made up Cthulhu from something and just brought him out. Oh, yeah, seat. you like rolled him out. And this stuff. And it, was, it was a lot of fun, though. You know, and I think the players really enjoyed it. That was an epic encounter that night. The whole thing being, you kind of let them get into the epic turns and get them, get, let them get into the, all right, I'm firing stuff off from a distance where this huge thing is doing some stuff to us, but he's not like just grabbing us and crunching our ship. You know, it's like kind of having them close from a distance where they're being impacted by the madness of Cthulhu. And maybe he takes a swing at the ship, but he's kind of concerned about other things. Meanwhile, they're pelting him with arrows and abilities. And that goes on for a little while. That was a fun encounter, I thought. I mean, I don't know if it was as good as the time we fought Santa Claus. But that was definitely a memorable encounter. <laughs> a demonic Claus, Santa Claus. I'm sorry, Claus I'm jumping way ahead. Yes. Same campaign. And you put an actual Santa Claus figure, which was enormous. It would have been like a gargantuan fig. <laughs> I do traditionally do a Christmas game. Uh, where my classic version of doing a Christmas game is I have the players get warped into another world. They're into a dream world or the North Pole. They all get gifts that are like top level magic items. So they'll be like fifth, they'll be fifth, seventh, ninth level, and they get like the level thirty magic items to use for the night. So they get to play with some stuff. Today, actually in fourth edition, I also give them access to a high level power because magic items aren't that neat. The high level powers are, and yeah, they fought Santa Claus. They, they fought a demonic Santa Claus who kept running them down with his rock with his fiery reindeer. Uh, a lot of aerial swipe attacks in that before getting off and fighting them. You know demon to, to characters mm. uh that was also though like you said you remember that right that was like that was a that was a fun one that was certainly memorable <laughs> that was so, very memorable did you enjoy it was i did it no i mean first of all i love every christmas game i like that's the kid inside of me like i want to see a christmas game i i, I throw i traditionally throw games for people's birthdays i mean and i make that like you know, the star of the show for that <laughs> 
All right, Tone, you led us off on the first one. Lead us on on the second one. So we talked a little of OPing. What well, else we okay. got? Well, if we're in OP and we're still doing an NPC Hall of Fame, this one isn't my NPC, so I can't take credit for it. This is an NPC in the previous pot area. It's a DM in a previous podcast. You know, I've I've given some of his plots a hard time, but he had a really <laughs> memorable NPC, uh, and this was Beef the Knoll. Beef the Knoll. Uh, was a Knoll warrior. We got a hold of a deck of the many things, and he got himself three wishes, and Beef wished to be stronger three times. This is in first slash second edition. And Beef <laughs> ended up with Storm Giant strength. Um, and somehow, this did not derail the campaign at all. And I'm not even making a joke. Didn't Beef all carry around a giant ballista? Yes, he did. But Jesus he was Christ. dumb as a <laughs> pile of bricks and um but he was a great character and everybody liked him and he you know he also in some respects had i mean he wouldn't you know give you yeah you know like oh we're at this puzzle this is what i think you should do but he he would be like that clutch guy in some of the fights and periodically he would come up with something the dm could chime in he would be able to add that role play aspect which i enjoy doing so he's definitely a hall of famer he was super crazy over the top i'm like i have an 18 strength and beef's got a 24 strength but i was a bleed singer so i was incredibly badass maybe he was superman but i was batman <laughs> i guess i mean so I, I think beef showed up somewhere i was in i don't i didn't play with him very long though Much i feel later. like if you were kind of if you were huh was i, I was Much in that later, one later beef showed yeah. up yeah um the only thing with that is I worry if you bring in the, the 29 strength NPC, what do you do with the 20 strength barbarian? Isn't that kind of making the barbarian look a little shady? You don't want any of these NPCs to outshine uh, your players, for sure. He was basically a comic relief character, and he could do some cool stuff. He was. He was very strong, and he could throw down. Don't ask him his advice on the situation, how to talk to the the uh, Jarl. Uh, don't ask him to solve this puzzle. Don't ask him how to get in the dungeon. He can't do those things. But like when you're in a tough fight, it was really nice to have. Oh, there. so that's why you're so good at playing Hawk Morgan, then, huh? That's just because he already he's just the newest beef the gnome. <laughs> no, I mean he's a completely different. Um, I I really had no idea how much I'd enjoy playing a barbarian in five e. To be perfectly honest. Yeah, but Thorne and I agree it's a fun with character you. class. It really is. I agree with you. Um, that's one of the reasons, like, because I mean, I love NPCs and I love doing crazy NPCs and maybe memorable ones, hopefully. But yeah, I never want them to be to to do anything that the players could have done, you know, and take that away from them, unless it's absolutely necessary to like get them back on, you know, to get them out of the what the forty days in the desert or whatever that Tony happened the one time. <laughs> You know, aside from something like that, I never want the NPC to to deliver the, the killing blow or to, you know, to figure out the, the big clue or something. Because that just I again, I think that just for me pulls so much from the from the players, like what you were saying. So if that's the challenge, and, you know, I got to say, I have pundit on this a little bit because earlier on in my DMing career, I played with more NPCs and more like kind of like party pet NPCs. Like I also gave I brought a dragon into one of the parties once. Uh, not not an apocalypse dragon, you know. It wasn't, wasn't quite of the stature of flame strike, but I have now. I enjoy kind of DMing the, the the party pet a little less than I used to, and I tend to want to focus on what the what the other side's doing, and then let the characters kind of feed, like tell me what they're doing. 
So yeah. I don't do them as much. Although we do have there's a there's a fairy dragon named Quickster in the Woodstock Wanderers game. That is true. He is a he is a recurring uh, character. That is true. He's the same. He's kind of a he's he, well, he's been the party guy. Yeah, yeah. Through a certain part of this, he's he's kind of been the local who he bailed them out of one fire. He's kind of been a little bit guiding them and helping them find stuff they want in the in this part of the campaign. So that's. Um, that's where he fits in, but even him, I probably, I, I feel like I, I feel like I'm a little lazy about role playing him, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> like, like, like he, I bring him in, I give him a voice, he does his thing, but I always feel like, man, I'm not really milking this guy. Uh, I'm not quite doing him like flame strike was, you know, I'm not really kind of like really kind of milking him for the awes and the pets, you know? Well, that's, that seems to be much more, uh, where Tony can really go for Cause he enjoys that, that part of it, you know, uh, that's not what to say. I will say one of the things Tony mentioned about that though was he didn't start with Flame Strike there. The characters really did that. The characters did a lot of the role play with Flame Strike, so Flame Strike was just responding in a lot of cases. Now Tony went back to that with the Flame Strike. Was that was that something you you had planned on them like you know taking on, or did it just happen to be a, a young dragon that that appeared in one of the scenes because of what was happening, and they said, "Oh, I'm going to take it." Um. This was unscripted. Now, I, you have to realize, this is an evil campaign. So I'm thinking, what? They want to weaponize him? They want to sell him to the highest bidder? Are they going to destroy it and use it for spell components? Who knows what these chaotic, stupid guys were Wait, planning so to do? Uncle Garrett and all this oohs and ahs was the evil campaign. I don't yes. think really – I'm also an evil campaign specialist. <laughs> if we're being honest, I mean, we, I mean, it was evil, and evil in a lot of ways, but – A lot of ways. We, there was a lot of goodness in it too. There was a lot of whole. It was a very wholesome kind of evil campaign. <laughs> this is your well, good wholesome family evil right here. This is your <laughs> this is your good night, John boy kind of evil campaign. They lived in Mallmaster. I mean, it was an evil city. It was just the whole place was evil. Saturn. This is the this is the campaign that destroyed each other in the end. So keep that in mind too the campaign that had the baby pet dragon with uncle garrett the john boy evil campaign eventually slaughtered each other that's how that campaign ended which is before we tell the story the more i feel like this is so right (laughs) this was the perfect campaign (laughs) well one of the focal points of that game was that i would i wanted the players to have an opportunity to claim the lost dragon orb so the question is who wants to rule the world but with dragons Okay. All right. I mean, yeah. I think, but didn't you wind up? I mean, didn't you also sow so a little bit of uh, you sowed some some tension there. You sowed some dissension because several of them wanted to recover it for several different parties. The the, the real hilarity was, and I said this before, was that nobody trusted um Morgan the uh, Drow Elf at the time, and he uh, he was. I can't get it. Why? Yeah, he, he, he had really burned a lot of bridges and really got under a lot of people's skin. But it, ultimately, he really did plan on hooking everybody up, which was really hilarious, if, if you could believe that he had good intentions down the road. Now, now one story I remember from this campaign is that Morgan, uh, we had to go in and fight a dragon. I think it was a green dragon, might have been a red dragon. And he said, okay, we have, he, for the warriors, we have scrolls of protection from dragon breath. I'm going to give you each a scroll of protection from dragon breath. We're going we're gonna to give each of you protection from dragon breath. And we go running in, and my barbarian did not have protection from dragon yeah, breath like no, Morgan no, told him. It got posted <laughs> nearly to death by dragon breath. What, what, was this, what was the actual scroll? He just lied to me. He flat out, he had two scrolls, he had two scrolls of protection. 
and he lied to my character and let the and, and, and so he had two, not three, but he wanted us all to go in. And the, and the barbarian was the biggest, toughest guy. He oh. survived, where the other ones would have been toasted. And I want to throw that. Wow. That is confusing because he was Morgan the Drow, and my, Morgan is the last name of my current barbarian. So that's a little wild. That's true. Yeah, yeah. No, that's 25 years apart. No, this is Morgan the Drow. Morgan's a recurring name. different characters. I think we can tell that these are wildly different characters <laughs> in every way. When we talk about the party didn't trust Morgan, not only was he robbing us, at one point he had set me in with a, here, here you protection for dragon breath and just got knocked out by dragon breath uh he lied to the party a lot i mean yeah good times so yeah, I, get... I don't really know what everybody was expecting but the best part was everyone was so new in the game priest of syric oh that sounds cool Tell everyone who syric is is the god of lies Oh, the Forgotten Realms, right? The Forgotten Realms. The, the Dark maybe, Sun. You know, yes. Maybe have them roll a couple religion rolls. You know, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> nobody nobody investigated. Like, oh, Syrac, yeah, he's a god like him and Thor, you know, gods. So, <laughs> I, God mean, stuff. I can't say, you can't say he wasn't role-playing well. He, his role-play was really excellent in that game. Kind of how he got us all to believe excellent, him. really. So, um, wow. So, yeah, so we're once again, we're back to that evil campaign, which actually hits because one of our listeners this week asked for advice on how to DM an evil campaign. And we have hit it before in a recent episode. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'll say again, it still turned out to be one of the more memorable campaigns we had. It had Flame Strike. It had the great party meltdown in the end. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to call that a success. That's a win. Well, tell you the truth, Thorne, talking about that uh, with, you know, the, the, the thoughts of running the evil campaign, I think what you just described earlier about uh, Cthulhu and the, and the Bronze Lich and all these people um, – working together but working for their own ends but realizing that some of their own ends were only served by working together until they didn't need to and i think if you're going to run an evil campaign that's kind of the only way that it can really it can really go either that or everyone's going to constantly be trying to to slice each other's throats every time you go to bed and then that's not going to be helpful so yeah so any kind of idea of like the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, or or the uh, you know uh, the Legion of Doom, or something. There, for for something, they're working together. It's still going to break down, but at least for a, for a couple levels, it might work out for you, right? That particular campaign used the old used the DM trick of good evil NPCs don't not they they don't let the player down necessarily. They do what they say they're going to do. It's like the it's like the old idea, you know, the devil doesn't bother to lie to you. He just tells you the dead solid accurate oh. unless you find hell yourself. That's a good so point. Like, yeah. Never, he always delivered what he said he was going to deliver. It was just the things he didn't tell you about that made it interesting. In Vecna and the Bronze Lich and these Elder Gods, Nyarlathotep is also a character in that campaign because his whole deal was he was trying to bring Azathoth more into the world or wake him up. But basically, Nyarlathotep was the one playing the, okay, let's destroy everything kind of role. Um, but everyone was trying to basically abuse the others to get as much of their goals accomplished as possible before they turned on them without actually breaking deals, you know? So it was, yeah. and we did, and I did that on the NPC side and Cassidy just played that very well as the wizard. And that's kind of a key to, I think that sort of evil campaign of evil, not, that's not an evil campaign, that, but that kind of. No, but the, yeah, the character. villains working together. Because yeah. if it's an evil campaign, it's the villains working together. That's just the players are, are running them. It is why do they work together? And how do they yeah. work together? And what, at what point do they betray each other? At what point do they turn? When does 
you kind of got to know where the motivations are and where the payoffs are and who gets what for what. You know, if you yeah. can figure that out, it's it's it can be very rewarding to put together evil NPCs like that. Yeah. But okay, so we've been talking about these stories for a while. Let's see some other crazy tricks I have done. Um, my first campaign, second edition campaign, one of my characters wanted to play a werewolf, so I flat out home brewed a werewolf. For like one of my first oh, campaigns, I home brewed a werewolf class for this dude, and I did it based on. Um, now, people who game with me, especially Tony, will be aware of this. I used to be a lot more loose with doing homebrew stuff, and now I'm a little more conservative because this campaign, it was fun, but it also ran off the rails so many times because I had, like, I was just, I would, I would homebrew things I didn't understand. So in homebrewing this werewolf, I don't remember exactly how I set his powers, but, like, he could go werewolf that gave him kind of strength mm-hmm. boost and it gave him barbarian berserker type abilities, and he had claws, and I let him use swords as a werewolf. He dual wielded scimitars. <laughs> a really cool character. Now you get to turn, you're, it's you're, a twist if he was a werewolf. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a twist. Let's make him more badass. Instead of having oh. a pet panther, he, he's a werewolf. Yeah, and he is Guinevere. Yeah. And actually, that was the, that was the same player who uh, who was the uh, who, who we talked about was the warlock later who didn't want to be in part of the Infernal Pact. His first character was much more like, hey, yeah, sure, whatever you want to do, and he did enjoy that one. Um, that was cool. That game had, I had a pet dragon in that game that I gave the party. The one character was a werewolf. I gave them magic items way too early. So like he had like plus three, I think the werewolf scimitars were like one was life stealing and the other one was like Vorpal or something by like level nine. Dude, dude. It's ridiculous. Oh my um, God. Yeah. But fun. That was fun. <laughs> but, it, but it meant that, that, but what it meant was this was the campaign where I also, took the party to the to the level where they were chewing through things, no problem. I missed, like, the middle half of the monster manual because I leveled them up. I powered them up too quickly. So, like, things like owlbears and, like, there's things that were, like, like hit die, like, up to, like, level 9 weren't making it. We went from 3 to, like, hit to, like 11 hit die, like, in, like, two sessions. Yeah. Um, but in the end, that was a session, that was a campaign where, oh, wow, so many crazy things in that campaign. Um, at one point, so Tony and his buddy, uh, who happened to play Morgan, joined that campaign as a wizard, and I think I think uh, the other dude joined as a warrior. I think I forget what he was exactly. But Tony came in with a whole bunch of like kind of new ideas and household stuff they've been doing in his games. We were much younger. I mean, this is we're in our we're in our early twenties when this is going on. Um, so like he's like, wall of iron. Hey, can I cast a wall of iron so it'll fall on people? Sure. All of a sudden, he's crushing entire armies with walls of iron. He, he came to be known as the important was, parts of it. Thorin, that was Al Hazard. Right? That was his name. That was Al Hazard. Al Hazard yeah. came to be known. said that. The minute you said that, I was like, he's going to crush armies. Like, the minute you said, I didn't know anything about it, I already knew where he was going with just it. Just the commanders. <laughs> you think you're a badass swordsman? I just dropped an iron wall on you. You might get up, I'll put another iron wall on top of that. Okay, I'll wait. It wasn't just commanders. It was like, you're taking like 100 people at a time. <laughs> it wasn't that big, oh but God. I mean, you know, you have an army full of these third-level fighters, and here's the 15th-level fighter. We'll just drop a wall on him. So I think this is a very classic uh, new DM kind of situation when you're you're kind of new to it and you're playing with it, but you're also really excited about your own ideas. So you're rolling out all these homebrew ideas that are a lot of fun, but you find you wind up ramping up your power too aggressively. You don't understand the system, so your homebrew stuff winds up off the rails, which was what I think that happens to a lot of people. Um, I really recommend DMs explore your own creativity, do the stuff you want to do, 
but get to know the system first because you really want to know what are the power what are the power levels you really should work with and what are the consequences of exceeding them but to get to the consequences of exceeding them let's turn about the time that i took this iron mage in the entire party and uh warped them to a world where there was no magic all of a sudden so um and you talk about crazy dm stunts this is a crazy dm stunt i was on the one hand they had finished that particular part of the campaign they had killed the big wizard the big wizard had so many contingencies on him he practically killed the whole party but he did so much that it opened a rift in reality and they got sucked through into another world uh, there you go there's your that that is your mad that, that is your wizard did it explanation for how this happened <laughs> they get parked in a world that is surrounded by a field called the imacon jacinda and it is basically all the magic in the world is a field that's basically around the world, cutting it off from other magic. Um, the field is below the cloud level. So when it rains, it rains through this field and actually it rains spell effects. So the first thing I did with Hazard was he fell into this kind of very super salty marsh uh, or like a desert kind of like a, like, like a salty kind of like a, like, like, a, like a desert lake, like a desert sea kind of situation where it's, you know, there's water, but it's so salty, nothing grow, nothing lives in it. He falls in that. He's losing hit points. He gets picked up and wrapped in a taco, effectively like a taco shell, by some natives who drag him off. And he realizes that not only is he almost dead, but he only he can't recharge his spells. He only has the spells he came in with. And he has. I made him go through several sessions, DMing like playing by his wits with no spells. You were pretty high level at that point, I think. I mean, what do you? What's your memory of this? I want to say I was probably around level 17 when that happened. Yeah, yeah. It was in, in first, last, second edition. Um, yeah, again, this isn't a stunt I would try with everybody at home, kids. Um, because not everybody... <laughs> if we're going to talk about, have a whole episode about why you can't take one power for someone, you drop a wizard in a campaign and be like, your spells are kaput. I mean, that's not going to fly. Audience, you must know your audience. There is context. Now, there's two things I want to say about this one. Number one is I did it to everybody. So all the spellcasters were trapped in this world, cut off from the powers. Everyone lost something. I will admit that the warrior classes were better off, but I think they all lost their, like, their items and stuff, or they were depowered or something. Um, so everyone lost. And this was absolutely a case of it was level 17. The party had pulled plenty of shenanigans. The wizard especially had pulled plenty of shenanigans. So I was just talking about it. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. In fact, you know, let's drop an iron wall on that part of the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I mean, everyone had gotten to have their fun. And this was a case of things had gotten so far out there. I wanted to do something to shake it up because it was to challenge them. I had to do really crazy things. And honestly, when we came back and they when they got back to their world and they were at high power level, they were over level 20. This is when I started with the breeding terrace. We've talked about that a little bit. But that's how powerful this party was natively. So I parked them in this world with no magic where what their whole goal winds up being is number one, trying to figure out ways to be effective and cast this, uh, or that, that wizard, the way he found to be effective, was he started making siege engines. And when I did this, I opened that up. I'm like, yeah, okay. You're parked in this world, but you know what? Yeah, you're smart and you can start making guns. You can start teaching people how to make ballista. You can start doing stuff. So even though we're removing the, the, the base powers from this character who's gotten to explore them very, like he's explored them very far. So you're, you're taking something away that has been thoroughly worked with. So it's like you're taking something away that just got. And you put him in a situation where you make him use the rest of his character sheet 
and you make him play and be effective through other means. But as a DM, you are then totally open to what he wants to do. So this is one of the first games where I'm like, all right, Tony, what's he do? Yeah, you've got no magic power. You're also at like three hit points and you're dying. What are you going to do? He had to make himself useful to this tribe. So he starts making them stuff and showing them how to make stuff. And he starts basically raising an army, if I remember. Didn't you kind of like co-opt them or you got away from them and co-opted someone else? Uh, I eventually was rescued by my non-heavily magic-using friends, but then I became uh, essentially a gunslinger in your campaign until we were – until much down the road, we were able to restore magic to that world, and then it was party time. We partied like it was 9.99. Well, at the end of that – so, I mean, and that's the other thing. So, so I did – in this particular case, several of the characters had similar arcs over the course of this particular adventure. Which was, you're cut off from your god, you're cut off from your magic, you're cut off from your source of power, in the process of restoring it. So, like, the priest, well, the gods couldn't get through this barrier either, so they couldn't get magic into this. However, if he founded a religion to his god, and he grew it, he was able to get his power back that way. And part of releasing this Imacon was actually him building enough enough belief in his god to start putting pressure on it. And in the end, Cassidus went up there and actually he absorbed it. So Cassidus came out of this. Alhazard. Alhazard, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. Alhazard came out of this stronger than ever. The priest came out of this stronger than ever, but they kind of had to go through the Valley of Death. This is a little bit of a testing their faith style campaign. They've done cool stuff. They've been badass. We've been playing for a while. I'm shaking it up. I'm doing something they're not going to like, but I'm going to give them opportunities to do cool things play-wise and still shine as characters by thinking differently. And in the end, if they go through it and they solve it, they're going to get even more power. That's how I approach that. And I think it works as much as I will admit there are some people who would have like kind of kind of slammed that whole campaign as homebrew dreck. I think it worked really well, and I think players had fun once they got over the fact that, hey, I lost my stuff, I'm nowhere near as cool, and everything is really deadly. Because it was like, deadliness-wise, this world was much deadlier than the world they came from. It was like going to a Dark Sun type of world where, like, no, no, no. Everything is a lot tougher. Like, your base monster now was, like, a 10-hit-by monster in the old world. Um, so it was, yeah, like you're going to the monster plane, the, the hell plane, with no magic. But when you come out of it... Scaling be damned. Well, yeah, but it was also, that was the whole idea. It was I was trying to readjust that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, scaling, I work on the scaling principle that I scale to what's supposed to be there in my mind, and then that's what's there. <laughs> Not like you go to hell and you're first level and you're fighting first uh, one-hit-die uh, imps, but... But I mean, that, despite some, despite some, a rough start, you, what do you think? Was that a fun one? It was definitely a fun one. Uh, again, very similar scenario to what you talked about earlier. Um, yeah, my character's boned. I didn't lose my shit. I trusted the DM and it was a very, and it ended and was, and was a very, uh, memorable campaign. You know, sometimes, I mean, you can't have, if every game you come out there and you throw 30 points in in every game, then, you know, the the season's pretty boring by game 12, you know? Which is sort of where I was coming from. Not Dave, you play with me in another one of my games. Does this... Does yeah. this story terrify you? No, it does like- No, I, I, so I'm, I'm kind of going back to when I was a player in a different game, um, and the DM uh, did something similar. The unfortunate thing was he was, a, he was a very, very, very new DM. Uh, this was literally his, the, his first campaign ever uh, running uh, 5e, I think, uh, and he was running with a, a party that was just way too large and way too crazy. I love uh, this. 
And he had started us all with, he gave us just like Superman stats. Like we started with a 20, an 18, a 16, a 14, a 12, and I think a 10, uh, maybe not even. Um, yeah, so I mean, right off the bat, everyone is is blasting out their 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 big stats, and even your dump stat is still like a plus one, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, um, and uh, you know, building and counterbalance, I think he was having trouble, so he wasn't necessarily putting us up against things that would really test us. Um, but what he tried to do, because we were just rolling everything, no matter what he threw, and I think he was just almost throwing up his hands, so he depowered us. Uh, to the point where we became uh, like level zero um, and we had to go through this whole adventure and I get what he was doing. And I, I think it was cool in a way because you see that in literally every superhero movie and every show and all of these, right. You have to go through this whole testing of the faith and you lose your powers and you gain them back and you, you, you know, you learn the real power or whatever, right. The, the real thing behind it. And, um, if you're it's, not enough without the suit, you don't deserve the suit. Right, exactly, right, yeah. That only yeah. happened in Thor 1, Wolverine 2, I mean. Yeah, right, yeah. I, you're feel not... like, I feel like creatively, I feel like I had a great, I feel like I'm really well-grounded. Like, I feel like I had a lot of precedent for doing this to heroes well, that's the throughout thing. history. So in, in a script, and we talked about this before, the difference between script and game, but um, for that, I felt a little like, what are we doing? Like, I'm not even sure what's happening because I hadn't yet been able to really, ex I was a paladin. Um, I was, so I hadn't really been able to really explore my powers and my abilities and stuff because nothing had really challenged them, uh, yeah. which is very different from what you were explaining with your campaign. Like Tony was level 17. He had explored everything. So at this point, you're just like, okay, I throw a larger monster at you. I gotta throw a larger monster at you. That's exactly um, where we were. Yeah. Right. So you said, okay, well, you walk into this whole other thing. And I think it was the right group. So they trusted you to not just do it because you were an asshole, right? But I mean, you're still totally an asshole, but you weren't doing it because of that, right? <laughs> I mean, isn't, isn't that really the subhead to DM, you know, play group assholes? Well, no, isn't that really, if you're not being an asshole, are you being a DM? That is your job, right? That doesn't, uh, it doesn't frighten me. I think it's very much dependent on the group. I wouldn't do it when they're like level five, you know, but. Uh, well, I would I say like concrete takeaways, concrete takeaways on how do you do this? If you're going to do the test of faith kind of take away their powers game, I, have, I think those are two really important, three really important rules. Number one, you only do it when you know they have explored the powers they had thoroughly. So you let them have their fun. It's when the stuff starts getting boring that you pull this. Number two, while they're depowered, you give them other ways to be powerful. You let them tell you what they're going to do and you roll with it. You're going to take their ideas and run. So you like, like Tony yeah, let, really became a best. Tony become the Eugene of that uh, planet. And, and that's, it's a, so that's well, how you keep it fun while you do it. You <laughs> keep it fun by letting them have another way they can shine and be powerful. That isn't their classic powers. Yeah. And number three is when they beat it, you reward them hugely. When they come out of it, they get a huge thing. Tony, like Tony's character became a demigod of magic at that point. The, 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 the cleric became not long after that he was on, but basically that's when he got on the path to becoming a paragon, like a, uh, an avatar of his deity. So like high level, they've done their stuff. They're going through this test. And when they come out, they're going to have something cool to do. It's like, 
you know, to talk about, we talked about the wizard experience, the clerics experience, his whole deal now became, instead of being, he was still a good fighter, but he had been like a war priest. But his whole deal now became charisma because he had to convince people to follow his God and come up with ways to become an apostle and kind of, you know, be, be an evangelical force, which mm. he had not done. So everyone who lost a lot of their powers had another way to be powerful and they had, and they had something else they could go do that their characters were able to do. And that means that even though he maybe had a low charisma, I set his difficulties within the realm, within an appropriate realm for his charisma. Because you're making sure they can do something and, and, and make it work. You're not trying to say, well, hey, it's a shame you didn't pour more poison to charisma. That's not the spirit of this. The spirit of this is make them do something different and empower them, enable them to do this. So, yeah, so that's it. Those are the three rules. You know, yeah. make sure make sure they're ready for it. Give them a way to shine during it and really reward them heavily afterwards. So, yeah, what about, you know, we've talked a lot about the stuff that worked. What are some things, crazy things you've maybe done that didn't work? All right, well, here's one for you. Um, so, right, for, it's a second edition game. One of the players wanted to be a warlock, and he picked a dark path, and it was rolled his penalty and his boon. And his penalty was something nominal, like he couldn't eat cooked food on Wednesdays, and that's what he rolled. I'm like, okay, whatever. You watch it on Wednesdays, buddy. I got my eye on you. And this is what he, <laughs> and this is what this guy rolled. He rolled it right in front of me. It was the most obnoxious, blowing my mind out, and one of the most obnoxious things I've ever seen in print out of an actual legitimate source material. He's level one as a, as a necromancer. Level freaking one. He basically could not be killed. He regenerated two hit points per round. And if you killed him, he would come back to life. The only way to really kill this guy, this is the Lopan campaign. Uh, you weren't part of this one. No, no, but I don't, Lopan, I don't heard about this. Yes, this is his character name was Lopan. He was a Wu Zhen. Uh, Did you, you straight up do a campaign of Big Trouble in Little China? It was heavily inspired. Was it David Lopan? <laughs> yeah. The necromancer was Lopan, and the only way he could be killed was to, he had to be submersed in acid. No, not even. You have to basically cut him apart and scatter his body parts. Yeah, he's, he he's, Wolverine, he's Logan. You have to literally pull his parts apart across the globe. <laughs> so here's my thing with this. What didn't work was you're a low-level wizard. You're squishy. That's like one of the problems in, you know, um, especially first and second edition. It's like you're running around. You got a handful of hit points. An arrow could be very lethal. This guy walks into a freaking dungeon. Here comes a boulder trap. He stands there like, what? It crushes him flat as a pancake. They wait, and he gets back up like it's nothing. It no, for up. something for something like that, the the weakness, the the flaw has to be equally or more so. You know, if you're Superman, you have to have the kryptonite. Well, I'll tell you how I handled it. Caps you. I, I gave him exactly what he rolled because this guy rolled this off the chart. So I'm like, well, fuck. He is what he rolled. I can't I can't be punitive here. So I got him with my infamous mirror of opposition and created his doppelganger Lopan, who he couldn't kill. It was, <laughs> it was, so they constantly were butting heads. He was a really obnoxious, reoccurring villain. I'm like, I'm sorry you didn't scatter his parts far enough this time. <laughs> you're, you're even the ruler out and you're checking the, the, the distances. And they can't even call it bullshit. It's like, hey, one of the PCs has this ability. You can't you you can't you can't say this is unfair. You guys have it. The, the bad guys have it too. 
So yeah, yeah no, that was uh, it was memorable. It was hilarious. Would I say that worked? No, no, I would not. Yeah, I will say the way one way I always keep in mind if someone is immortal, a good thing you can do with them is they're trap so to being trapped not, or him or him. Actually, did you guys watch uh, Ogard on Netflix yet? No. That's no. the deal with Ogard. They're basically it's Highlander ish and. It is. It's an okay movie. It's uh, but one of the things is they actually explore that. Okay, these warriors come back every time they die. This one, some of them have been alive for six thousand years, but one of her part old partners was actually trapped in an iron chest and sunk to the bottom of the ocean, out of the game. They could they could never find her to recover her. So you have this immortal person who's trapped in an iron chest at the bottom of the ocean forever, which is effectively out of the game. So you can do that, although ah. that is a dick move to do it. But you yeah, can do it. You can like hold the threat over them. You can hold that threat over them. I also say anyone who's that overpowered, the bad guys will start doing stuff specifically to them. Like, okay, when they, yeah, yeah, no one else gets kill shots except your character. Your character, they start taking his pieces apart and giving the riders, sending them away. Well, yeah. He's got to come catch you, kind of catch the riders. And that you're going to tell me that there's not, you know, rituals within the world that, uh, that defeat that type of thing or that, that remove that dark gift or something. You know I mean? Yeah, but that's you know just kind of making it go away is kind of cheating. No, 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 no. I don't mean you know? that. In, I don't mean just a you throw them in the chest and throw them at the bottom of the ocean. But what I'm saying is that that becomes a hard plot point where yeah. they find out that there's this ritual that you know somebody could do that cuts the you know so it can become something where now it's the quest to end that. Now the party is with the immortal trying to prevent the ritual that would eliminate his immortality. Yeah. And Are you effectively running an evil campaign by default at that point? Yeah, and if he uh, is trying to, if he's kind of an evil douche character, he's going to he get was. real nice real quick or else no one's going to help him. Well, if he but can't it, die, why bother being good? <laughs> no, no, he was an evil character, but of course all the party members would make sure this wouldn't happen. Not going to carry the wizard away and throw him in there. No, he's our meal ticket. Forget that. Yeah, right. Yeah. I will go. I'll go back real quick yeah. though to something that Thorin had said, and it kind of because, as I said, like uh, I did like some crazy things, and then I think I scared myself off from them. So I generally keep stuff pretty, uh, pretty by the book overall. But I have had times where people have brought things up to me that I go, "Huh, that would really be interesting," but I don't want to do it now. Like. I was running this uh, West Marches kind of style campaign. So it would, in essence, be episodic, and it could be any group of, of adventurers coming through. I mean, yeah, so West Marches is basically your, your, your campaign is out on the borderlands, and the adventure, any session is basically going to explore something on the borderlands. Yeah, there's for people that want, just go Google West Marches, and it's, a, it's an entire style of gameplay. Uh, but it's kind of, it's really cool to start to explore. Um, especially if you have lots and lots of people that want to play all the time, but um, because you can swap people in and out. That's part of the appeal. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Just different teams, and then it's all very player player driven. It could be like it's almost like the Rangers from the Night's Watch. It's like the particular Rangers going out ranging. Yeah, I think, could, yeah. I think you could think of it kind of like that. Yeah, that'd be kind of neat. Um, but I was, it was going to be the first game, so everyone was going to be starting at level one, and one character came to me and said, "I would really like to play a ghost," and I was like huh like i would in so many ways i was like that's super cool but then as i started to break it down i was like everything that's going to happen is this person's going to be way too overpowered for everyone else at level one so I, I didn't want them to feel like they got this preferential treatment so i pulled back on it but 
it started to make me think. So, you know, what do you guys think in terms of like you talk about the werewolf thing, which now I guess enough guys homebrewed it that they literally put it into the source books now. So they have the whole like, if you're a lycanthrope, what happens, you know? But um, there's a crazy idea that gets brought up and maybe you don't introduce it now, but let's say down the road, somebody dies and then now, oh, maybe they do come back as a ghost because now it can be worked. And then that might be actually kind of a cool mechanic. So, you know, like kind of holding back on some of the crazy and letting it loose when it's more appropriate. You want to talk about crazy ways to bring people back? Oh, this is about like a lightning round. I mean, no. <laughs> I had. Uh, I mean, okay. So in principle, I'm very much for this. I've had many games, especially in second edition. We've talked about that we used to play with critical hits in second edition. Um, I've had many, many games where sub third level, so like first level, second level, third level, characters died uh, from crazy critical hits. Critical misses from the party, critical hits from the enemies. Like, I remember one game in particular was a one-on-one game where my player was playing a samurai. and I had, him, I had sent him to guard attack shipment. He ran into goblins. I gave these goblins clubs. I mean, I'm totally depowering <laughs> the goblins. And he's a fighter samurai. And a goblin critted him with a natural 20 with a club and just knocked his, just cracked his fucking skull. And I'm like, hmm. beat. Okay, they run off with, with, your, with your master, with the daimyo's tax money and... All right, all right, all right. But I don't want to have to re-roll things. We're playing one-on-one. Okay. Uh, you're a little low-level to be resurrected, but how about this? How about a local sprite cast a reincarnate on you? So now you're brought back as a satyr. And I'm just going to speed up the satyr. I'm going to speed up the reincarnation. So you're brought back as an adult satyr, and you remember being a samurai. So now you're a samurai satyr. And you're going out there. That's a box. It was fun. <laughs> Honestly, it was, that was Matt. That was, uh, that was my stepdad, one of his, one of his characters. Um but it was cool, actually. We had some cool adventures with him. So in that same vein, I would not at all hesitate to do the ghost. You know, if a character wanted to do it, especially if it was like, okay, the character, or, or you could even you could even bake it in as, okay, you're, you want to play a ghost. Here's how we're going to do this. Come in as a player. First time you die, and I'll make it a little dangerous for you, you're going to come back as a ghost. Right. And that's what I'm saying. So it's not like I w- I pulled back from it because I was like, I didn't want it to overshine other people. I didn't want them to feel like, oh, well, they got the, all this cool stuff. Because literally, like when you look at ghost stats, they're they're pretty boss. Right. Um, and then I even looked up some different homebrew things that you can find on the Internet. So, but it has totally planted the seed for me to go, OK, this is awesome. This is an awesome mechanic that I could utilize down the road story-wise, but that doesn't completely destroy and derail the game, right? Because it happens at an, at an appropriate time, an appropriate level, that type of thing, you know? So it becomes more flavor than anything else. So, Tony, do you have any... I mean, I actually... I have some direct advice on how to do this, but before I start ranting, do you have anything... Uh, <laughs> I mean, on, on ghosts, or we're going to do that one last crazy thing? No, no, sure. Okay, let me, let me talk about ghosts, because... I've done this in a few places, and this isn't just about ghosts. But this is, I want a player character who's going to be a weird race where it's basically taking a higher level hit die CR yeah. monster and bringing it in. Right. The real big thing you need to do when you do this, because you can do this at any level. So now the ghost thing, one way to do it would be, okay, wait till he gets to that level, then kill him, then bring him back as a ghost. But now you still have to deal with the idea that, okay, so he is a good ghost. How do I keep him leveling up? So what you have to do is take whatever monster you're looking at and turn it into a race, which means you look at its abilities, um, you benchmark them against what kinds of things are available as far as damage-wise to the players at what level, 
spell-wise at what level, I do find a really effective thing to do is to say, all right, so a ghost is incorporeal. What's a spell that does that? And when does a character generally get that spell? Also, is incorporealness going to imbalance my game? If it's not, fine, give it to him. If it is, to what extent? Can I put limits on this? Okay, so maybe he's incorporeal, but he's just new at it, so you can't go through walls yet. You know, so you do things like that. Maybe he has some damage resistances, yeah. but you can't do all the things you think you could. So what you do is you take that monster kind of template, you identify what are the really iconic things about it they want, incorporealness, ghostliness, the flavor things, probably some attack things, but then you dial them down the to the level. <laughs> The spookiness you get for free. That just comes. Yeah, the spookiness perks. just comes. That's, that's, yeah, just that's like, the, yeah, that's like floor mats. You just but, get. But what you do, and actually, so, so Tony, in the game we just played, uh, in fact, so I never talked about something I played, I did that didn't work. So I'll throw out something that didn't work very well in effect, which was I gave a deck of many things recently to a fifth level, to a fifth level party in fifth edition. Um, now, in some ways this worked, in some ways this didn't. Depends who you ask. Huh? Depends who the party you ask. And that was the thing. And I, and, and <laughs> the one thing, what I learned, I learned a lot from this. The one thing I learned was I'm not afraid of anything in that deck of many things except for the 50,000 XP card. Because you can handle everything else. Wish is fine. What are they going to do with a wish? Level 8 or lower spell once? Fine. You're going to do something crazy? Well, all right. I got that a bunch breaks of my heart. They nerfed the wish like you that. You know, I mean, uh. okay, if you want to gain a level, fine. I'll give you a level. One level per wish. I don't care. I'm not going to give you five levels for your wish. I'm not going to, you want an ability, I'm going to set your ability to be appropriate to your level, which is kind of the way Tony went. We'll get to that in a second, because that, that comes back to this. But one of the, what didn't work was one of the characters did get up to ninth level compared to the rest of the party at fifth. Now, he was a bard, so I was comfortable with this. I thought it was going to be okay. The other players hated it. And actually hated it to the extent where we didn't get to play it out. They bailed before that. The other thing that went wrong was one of the players who was kind of getting, apparently, as kind, of, as kind of I've learned since then, was unhappy with the pace of the campaign, was kind of already fidgety. He, now, i got to set a little context. The way I gave this deck of many things was they got it at the end of an adventure. There was an archmage in the building, so they were working for this government. The archmage was like the head of the wizards was there, cleaning up part of the mess, taking away an artifact that was left over. And he sees that Erasmus, Tony's character, Tony's wizard, who works for him, this is Tony's high boss, has a deck of many things. And he doesn't take it from him. He's like, look, you shouldn't open that. Don't open that. Hang on to it. Don't do it. I've totally warned the party not to do this. On the other hand, it's a Christmas game, so they think it's a gift. <laughs> the other thing working against us it here is, is that other is thing working way. against us here is a ton of accumulated house rules from earlier editions. So they had a way of playing the deck of many things from earlier editions with different DMs that were basically, if you got your wish cards, you could undo whatever came up in the deck of many things. The fifth edition deck of many things doesn't work that way. And because I have warned them not to do this, I'm not inclined to let them roll anything back. I've told you them not to do it. I've told them it's risky. One of the characters immediately leaves the table and comes back with a deck of cards to do the deck of many things draw. And when he gets his turn to draw, he says, I'm drawing seven cards. First two cards go well. He's actually a thief, and he gets the 50,000 XP card, so he's going to be a ninth-level thief. That would have worried me, because a ninth-level thief is going to be able to one-hit almost anything. Ninth-level bard, fine. Bards help everyone. They raise all boats. Ninth-level thief worries me. <laughs> but third card in, he gets the void, which means his, his soul is now imprisoned. Now, I tied that into his backstory. I, he had a backstory. He had a man he was chasing. 
That man had just shown up in the last campaign as a vampire who had been working for With six fingers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so in basically <laughs> that bad guy was the one who left the deck of many things. This worked out perfectly from my point of view. His soul was now entrapped with that bad guy. The party wound up with some wishes. They had some ways to go get him back. I wrote him a long letter after this about what was happening with his soul and how they could go get it back. But he, like, he never responded. He barely engaged, and he was out. We played one more game after that. These guys, he was the host. He was one of the two hosts. And he quit the campaign after that. So that's one that didn't work out. Well, to be fair, the COVID also happened too. So yeah, I mean, there's a few things. I also had back surgery last year, which had so this campaign had been in a situation where we've been playing for a little over a year, I think. However, it was interrupted because I had some surgery recovery because I had a I had a sudden back injury last year. Uh, then it was interrupted by COVID, and we had kind of soldiered on, but we wound up in a situation where we finally ended it not long ago. Like it finally, like like I was like, hey guys, let's get together for it, and the and and, and the hosts were like, you know, yeah, we don't want to play anymore. However, we had only played one game in 2020, is what I realized. Like, I don't think we had played at all in 2020. I think our last game was right before Christmas. Maybe played one game after that. Um, so it didn't work, though. I mean, so that was a case where basically, you know, we've talked about a lot of what makes this stuff work is the players are willing to go with it. In this case, the players weren't willing to go with it. And there was some dissatisfaction with it happening behind the scenes. So that was kind of coming apart a little bit. And that wasn't... There's a whole thing there about communication, which kind of ties into something we talked about in, in, in a recent episode. But yeah, that one didn't work. You know, it doesn't always work out when you do the big crazy thing, which is disappointing because there were so many cool things coming out of the deck of many things. There was the party had picked up a devil that didn't like them. The party had picked up a major NPC who didn't like them. So basically Tony's boss, that Archmage, was about to turn on them. But oh, it would have been very I subtle. That. It would have been happening <laughs> behind the scenes. He had dusted us too. That's that's tragic. I mean, Tony's character got a wish. What Tony did what Tony got two wishes, and what Tony did with one of them was make his character part Storm Giant. Um, but Tony, so want to tell him what you did with that wish as far as the Storm Giant goes? Uh, yeah. Now my wizard wished to be imbued with the power and form of a Storm Giant, but I was very specific, so I wouldn't be Storm Giant sized. So I was like, you know a uh like a seven to nine foot tall storm giant and when you're a squishy wizard all of a sudden you're super strong and super durable and you can throw lightning bolts around so here's how i did that and here's then a... became a dmpc as well yeah. no i never do that no no. no 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 erasmus absolutely oh, yeah well, and then <laughs> he decided Spoilers. to become a storm giant and then when did he show up when we started a Storm King's Thunder campaign, which is kind of awesome, actually. But he, he showed up in our campaign right after that other campaign ended. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You picked me up in the draft. I mean, I'm not gonna say he works cheap. So here's how I do that though, because I've done that in several situations. I did that back with the werewolf. I did that with Tony's character here. I take a look at the at the monster sheet. I look at what makes it iconic: size, hit dice, power, strength. And then I scale it to levels. So, for instance, the Storm Giant has the ability to throw lightning. To throw lightning. So I take that ability, but I don't base it on what the Storm Giant's lightning does. I look at an equivalent spell, and I base the damage on an equivalent spell for that level. And basically, and, and I set it to be basically a once per day or once per short rest thing, depending on kind of what I think is balanced. So you take what the, what that monster does, you scale it appropriately for level, and you can decide do you want to keep it scaled for level. We scale it for race. I mean, there's a definite level of ability that races give you. Races give you first level spells. Races can give you things like halfling luck. So you can you can take those things and scale them to an appropriate racial yeah. ability. 
Yeah. You can take them and make sure any one-time attacks are scaled to the right level they're in. So, like, you're not throwing around huge things. You can even make it a little bigger if it's a once-per-day thing. You can even throw one double-sized fireball once per day. It's not going to change the campaign that much. So that's the thing I do is you look at the monster manual for inspiration when a player wants to do that, but then you scale it all according to character race, power levels, and character level, and equivalent things going on at that time. Yeah, I think that's a real key to making that work. I like that a lot, actually. You can make any monster a race. So you can can basically take anything that the player wants to do and make it work so long as you scale it to appropriate character uh, attributes. So, like, for instance, you take things that basically a storm giant could do at any time but is a character. So you're going to get it once per short rest or once per long rest, depending on where I think the power is. And that's... Tony liked it. We didn't get to play it as much as I wanted to. I think we only played with him once. Yeah, no, that was like, the, hey, here's your new car, and I park it. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, the, the dude, I mean, the guy, he, he, he sat down and said, I'm drawing seven cards. And then when he got the void, eh, you Well, know, you know what? Okay, to be if fair, if he's playing it as his character who doesn't know, that makes perfect sense. I guess. As I a mean, player, just, you're out of your mind. You're drawing absolutely... seven cards, getting the bad thing, and then not wanting to play it out. It's a little bit poor sport. On the other hand, I have to I have to admit, he was apparently not having fun heading into it. So you got to accept that. And that's something where we talk about pacing. We talk about what, you know, different kinds of players. That factors in there, too. It, it happens. Yeah. It doesn't always work out. In this case, I thought some cool things happen from it. But, yeah, sometimes sometimes you, you throw the big curveball out there, the big crazy thing, and the players just look at you like you're crazy and down. It happens sometimes. Yeah, know your table, you know. And sometimes you don't until you until something's happened and then and then you know it, but the game's over. So oh well, you know you you start another game. So let's go through Tony. You said you kind of had your one last crazy thing. So this let's call biggest... this. This is the final. Well, we'll do our, our one last things and then we'll kind of do final thoughts on how do you make this stuff work. So. Well, go. I don't have anything more crazy than this, honestly. So we were playing a long time first edition D and D campaign and. We had gone through the Bloodstone Saga, and that was, that's a series of super high-level mods, and you're fighting against Orcus, who's a demon prince. He's extraordinarily formidable. He's the apex opponent, and we eventually went into the abyss and kicked his ass and took his wand, and now we have the chance <laughs> to end evil, and they're like, okay, now destroy the wand, and my wizard Astus is like, no, no. <laughs> I want to study this for academic reasons. So the party wound up rumbling, half-sided with the wizard, half came against him, half of them died, and then DM lost his shit. He's like, Ilsador, you fool. You Evil will prevail in the land, and he stormed off. No, I just want to keep this one little thing of smallpox and anthrax. <laughs> I'm just going to keep it here just to study it, I swear. So, yeah, this is why I'm an improv so DM, because I never count on the players doing the, quote, right thing. Who knows what they're going to do? Yeah, so I, I kept the wand of Orcus, and it was going to turn me into a demon lord. And everyone's yeah. like, oh, man, the campaign's over now. That sucks. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. This is more like halftime, guys. Here we go. All right, so me and another guy start DMing this, and this is what created the monster campaign. So I turned into a horrible monster. My wizard did. He turned into a demon lord who was a goat. And um, I'm like, well, if I could do this, so can you guys too. What do you, you want to do? You want to go after um, – there are creatures in this world called daemons. You want to take over? We can help you now that I'm so established. I'm just probably going to help you 
take over your section of a dimension and we kick some ass. Oh, these guys at Greyhawk are giving you a hard time. Well, look at all this leverage I have now. Let's go burn Greyhawk to the ground. Oh, you you want to you want to be um you want to be a devil? Okay, no problem. I'm sure we could knock a devil off somewhere and get you his powers <laughs> and get you established in the hells. And we all became devils and demons and demodans and demigods. And awesome. we gave I play we gave the primatera planes all of them hell, literally. And then we're like, all right, so what are we gonna do, guys? What's our next step? We're we're gonna consolidate the lower worlds. So I went from being a demon lord to I consolidated the abyss, all 666 worlds of it. Um, I became a demon prince, and it was a super long-running evil campaign. It was like the absolute most ridiculous, over-the-top. What happened after you became a demon prince? Uh, I became the king of demons and consolidated the the, uh, the entire network of the abyssal dimensions. You became the so, boss of all bosses. You were yeah, boss so what was laughing. the most crazy <laughs> stuff? This is the most crazy, folks. It doesn't get any freaking crazier than this at all. What system was no this? No way. Was this was the first edition? Yeah. <laughs> and guess what? Here's the punch on this. We all died. That's how that campaign ended. How, how, is, that? how is that even possible? You're the literal incarnation of evil. We encountered a creature from basic Dungeons & Dragons known as a Dread. I encourage people to Google this fucker. You think your character's got balls? You think your character could throw the big command, man? Wait until you run into this thing. Dread? No, you can't. A what has it spell? Dread? Yeah. I, can't, I can't even spell normal words. I'm going to spell this. No way. This thing... <laughs> was comp- the most asinine, it was a 200-hit-die book monster with 20 attacks around. Yeah. This is actually in a TSR-published supplement. And we all went up against this thing, fought the most epic battle of all time, and it eventually destroyed us all. <laughs> I, I think the moral... A three-year campaign. That's how it ended. I think the moral to the story... What all the all the DMs out there should take away listening to this is, you never have to end your campaign. You can always find something strong enough to kill your annoying players. <laughs> I ha- yeah, dread and yeah, if you can find one, yeah, that, there's that's always true. something you can find or make up to kill the players or take their powers away if you want to. You never have to go. I personally hate doing the thing where you go, oh, well, he's a vampire now. He's a DMPC. No, he's not. Play it oh, out. that's the worst. See what happens. Look at all the tension you're going to create. Come on. Go for it. Play it. I always want to play it out. Maybe I'm just crazy that way. I know not all players are interested in doing that. I never pull the plug on a character like that. Yeah. I mean, is this, does this sound insane to you? Well, I think what it sounds like, to tell you the truth, is that when you do something long enough, whatever it is, you're going to start to experiment. You're just going to start to go like, yeah, sure. Yeah, let's see what happens with that. Um, some things will work, some things won't. Um, I don't generally do too many crazy things. Um, crazy things happen in the game. That's just the general nature of the game. Um, but the, the the crazy things that I thought I had done at first, just, I, I didn't, I didn't, I don't think they went very well. So, well, looking back on them, no, you know, looking back with with the wisdom I've gleaned, I uh, 
you know, I, I generally am pretty by the book overall. You know, I, I focus a little more on what's happening at that table. And I, I don't want to pull away from players, but like we were talking about with some of the like the ghost stuff and things like that. Um, it gives me ideas to enter in down the road, you know, but not necessarily right off the bat when I don't even know who's at my table. Because every group I play with, I can do vastly different things with, you know. I think the one thing I would point out from what you said there is at least half the stuff we've talked about is stuff we did early in our careers. And the other half of stuff we've done late, more recently <laughs> in our careers. So I can't even I can't can't even blame veteran boredom for why we've done something. <laughs> well, some of you just blame, yeah, just uh, you know, uh, youth, right? <laughs> I will say the ones that work out best, you know, one of the one of the themes of the ones that have worked out is that we did them in conjunction with the players, not against the players. Mm. So it wasn't a case of the dungeon master overpowering monsters. It wasn't the case in the cases where we took something away from players, it was in a specific situation. We've gone over that. Most of the time, the crazy stuff we did was we let the players do something they wanted to do, and it worked out cool, and it made an interesting game, except for that game got overpowered, so we had to pull it back somehow. We had to do other crazy things to kind of balance it out. Mm. I kind of enjoy the I kind of enjoy the roller coaster there. I think the crazy's okay. You can embrace your crazy. You can ride it out. You can have some fun with it. You can pull it back when you need to. There are level. There are things you can do to rebalance your campaign later. At the same time, I will say these days, I am more careful to get to know the system first before I start doing crazy things. Great call with that. Great call with that. Yeah. Have, having said that, the Woodstock Wanderers are in a world where there's literally a giant tentacle monster under the earth, and they can sacrifice things to it in order to get power benefits, including things like levels. So, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying my crazy is behind. My crazy still, I still got plenty of crazy ahead. Uh, uh, I'm not doing it. I, that beam would never do that. So <laughs> I haven't tempted you yet. Oh, uh, no, he wouldn't. He, he can't. It's his it's not his character at this point. Probably not that I know character. of. Who the hell knows? Uh, maybe. I don't know. We're going to we can find new levels. Yeah, very true. All right, guys, we've been going on for a long time. I think we've hit plenty of interesting things. So why don't we just do the quick light, quick uh, final thoughts here. You're going to do something crazy. What kind of crazy? Like, like, what are some tips you have for how DMs can unleash their inner craziness without it getting out of control and making sure it's a success? I think you need to have a good feel on your audience. And is this going to really piss one particular player off? Is everyone to be okay with this? And if they are, if you have the right environment, they're like, hey, you have a nutty idea. Like, we're going to go fight space dinosaurs. And they're like, yes, I'm jumping in the uh, the, the truck with you. Then go for it. It's fine. Um, but, yeah, when somebody gets something really cool and somebody does not, that's where it becomes problematic. And that is, you know, I think I look back on the things that have worked for me and the things that haven't worked. It is, it is part knowing your party. At the same time, I do expect my party to go along with it to some extent. I think the tricky thing is not taking away something that's going to ruin the game for people, adding stuff in an even way. So if you give one person a super cool thing, you really do need to give everyone a super cool thing. It can be different things. We're all going to respond to different things. Make it individual. Don't make it like five versions of the same thing. I think if you're going to do that kind of thing, you don't have to give everyone the opportunity to do it, but you need to balance how they interact with it to balance the way they want to interact with the game. So like in the games with Tony, where, where his character became the Larval Mage, like I said, the Battlemaster got a big ship. You know, he got the thing he wanted, but he didn't do the back door stuff. He did, that was more something they found, that he got the captain. Everyone got something, but it was something delivered in the way they wanted to engage with the game. So if you're giving people what they want, 
on their terms and letting them have fun, you can do a lot of cool, crazy stuff. And if they trust you to do that, you can do the crazy negative things where they lose their stuff and have to fight their way out and get rewarded even bigger later. There's a whole trust thing there. You know, to some, to some, to some extent, every D&D campaign is a, is a social experiment. Some of them are put together by the guys who built the Fallout, you know, the Fallout vaults. So they're all twisted social experiments. But so long as your party's willing to go with you, you can do some cool stuff. And Dave, I'll pass it back to you for some last last words here. Uh, I think the, what you guys said between the two of you, the one thing that you both landed on, which I think is the most important, is what we keep coming back to, which is know your table and communication. Uh, you're not doing crazy things just for the sake of doing them. You're doing them so that you can have a really fun time, have some ridiculous stories that you tell that make no sense except to you and your friends. Mm. Um but so that everyone is having a good time. So if things are are your things are, are going crazy and people are starting to not enjoy it, well, that's time that it didn't work, you know. So know your table, communicate with people, uh, and be open to whatever happens. Like to, like Thorin said earlier, uh, your campaign doesn't have to end just because something went weird. Uh, there's an entire multiverse out there and all kinds of crazy monsters to fight like this dryad dad whatever the fuck this thing Dreaded. is called something <laughs> tony's gonna tony's gonna find it and we'll put it up on the website okay <laughs> i i can find you a picture no. the immortal yeah. handbook we're gonna find this ridiculous gygax creation you know uh, you know dave you said a few times it's about kind of curating your party and the more we talk about it the more i think that it is kind of as much as i want to let everyone in and i want to i want to i want to have a big table and i want to give everyone a chance to play there are certain things when we talk about stuff like this, you're finding the players who are willing to go with it. Yeah. The players yeah. who are going to stay in and have fun and, 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 and improv and take it in yes and. Like, they, you, whatever you did, yes and. And that is really, you know, I think those are the most fun games. When, when, when you're, there's a lot of trust and you're doing cool things and you're going way off book. And it seems crazy, but everyone's having a good time. Yeah, so find people that dig what you dig, you know. Some people like yeah. to go to the jazz club. I want to go to CBGBs and see the remotes, you know. So everyone's got to have their thing. So find people that dig your thing. <laughs> and I, think we've, I think we've had a good time tonight. Guys, I've had a great time. I hope uh, I really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks a lot for, for coming in and bringing the stories and uh, you know, weighing in on kind of on how all this crazy stuff went down. Yeah, I, I think we're going to have to do a part two at some point just to let Tony get some more of these insane stories out. God help you. And thank you all for listening to another episode of Three Wise DMs. As always, you can find us at threewisedms.com. You can email us at threewisedms at gmail.com. You can also catch us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Anywhere you want, drop us a line. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Let us know what kind of things we can cover that will help you take your campaigns to the, new, to, to, to the next level. And as you can see, there's nothing we won't try. <laughs> absolutely nothing we I don't know if that's good but. <laughs> you throw enough campaigns out there you can do all this yeah. and that's it for this episode of 3 Wise DMs thanks a lot, have a great time in your games we'll see you next week